Uh, we are in the midst of a summer sermon series entitled Walking with Jesus Through First John. And I never asked Keith this question. I know this is a picture of downtown Chicago, but like, why did he pick like a cold weather month picture? I don't know. I'll have to ask him sometime. Keith's not here. But uh, uh, if you're going downtown to the streets of Chicago today, what you'll find is not far from there, they're setting up for a NASCAR race downtown Chicago. Did you know about that? Right? Uh, yeah, so some sort of race right downtown. Apparently, it's on this little loop where there was a race there, like almost like 100 years ago or something like that. So uh, if you're going to go downtown today, you just may want to avoid the Grant Park area because it's pretty, uh, pretty built up. But um, uh, we are talking about how we can grow more like Jesus as we journey through a letter written by one of his closest friends and followers, the Apostle John. And uh, where we are, if you've not been with us every week, is we're just about to start into chapter 3, which you're hearing today focuses especially on our identity. Uh, so before we jump into that, though, I just have a question. I'm curious, what is your favorite form of identification? No wrong answer, just curious. Maybe it's a driver's license, a passport, something else like that. What's your favorite form of identification? Somebody shout a few answers out. A driver's license, right? Especially once you get to that 16 or whatever it is, right? Set free on the roads to roam and drive. What else? Oh, Saint Peter host family ID. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate that. Was there something else? Your state ID, right? Anyone love a passport, right? Because you could travel all across the world, right? I just got my global entry certification or whatever that is with TSA PreCheck. That's amazing because you can just jump the line. Don't have to take off your shoes or take the electronics out your bag. Uh, but uh, maybe yours is a Costco member ID card. Any Costco fans in the room, right? You can just take that card and you can go buy things that you don't need and lots of them, right? <laughs> we, right? What's that? 55 gallon drums of them, right? Or monster bags of toilet paper or chips or whatever. We do not have a Costco ID because our neighbor does, and so we just go with Debbie. But uh, also because we don't have enough room in our house yet to store all that extra stuff. But maybe one day uh, we'll be able to uh, take advantage of a Costco ID. As I was thinking about it, one of my favorite forms of ID is this one. I've been an American Airlines Advantage member for a while. Uh, and uh, because of all the money we're spending on our house project, we've actually gotten to advan Advantage Platinum Pro level. Like I know I will never probably have this for the rest of my life, but for a year it feels like glory because if I'm traveling international, I can go to those cool uh, places in the airport where you get to eat free food and take a shower and stuff like that. That's pretty much amazing. And then I get added to the upgrade list. And one time I got to get bumped up to first class. That was pretty cool, right? Uh, in fact, this last trip... Uh, we also had a chance, Sarah and I were coming back from California, and uh, Sarah got bumped to first class, okay? Now, notice, we were traveling together, but she got bumped to first class, right? Uh, ladies first, of course. And, uh, and uh, she posted this boarding pass on our fridge at our house, because when she walked off of the plane, she had like this glow to her face, where she was like so rested, and she felt so delightful. She said, Micah, why don't we fight? first class every time. Like, it can't cost that much, right? And I said, well, do you want to know how much it actually costs, <laughs> right? And, uh, but she's like, but they brought me wine, and then they, they gave me a meal, and I said, yeah, I know, we saw it all happen. I was back with the cattle in the back <laughs> of the plane, <laughs> right? No, but it was just an amazing experience, because this uh, ID gets you access to all these awesome things, right? But more than a driver's license 
maybe more than a passport to show you are a citizen, more than a Costco club or a gym club membership. What we're talking today is about another source of identity that's far more important. And that comes from the first part of our verse today. 1 John chapter 3 starts like this. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Uh, our identity begins and finds its source in this fundamental truth that we are children of God. As you look at Scripture, uh, it uses this in two different ways. First, you might call it a first article use of the term. That is, God the Father, creator of all the universe. Uh, on a first article level, every human on the planet uh, has its source and its identity in God, because God is our creator, and he says everyone has been made by him, and in fact, everyone is made in his image, so every girl, boy, woman, and man on the planet uh, has God as their father. But there's a second use of it as well, and that's where John is going, actually, in our text today, and that is for those who have been reborn, made new by faith in Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God that dwells within us, through our baptisms into Christ Jesus and the faith that he gives us, uh, we are part of his family. We are his children. And that comes with all sorts of rights and privileges and opportunities that scripture describes for us. So when John says how much our father loves us and that we are his children, that's the sense of the word that he's describing. Maybe a second article, Jesus, or third article, the work of the Holy Spirit in that sense. So we're going to unpack today what it means to be his children, and here's how we're going to do it. Here's the, the whole sermon kind of in a paragraph form, and then we're going to walk back through it piece by piece. As children of God, we often won't fit in because we're becoming more like Jesus, even though we don't fully know what that means. For now, it compels us to run as far away from sin as we can because God's power is living within us so that we become or are becoming even more like Jesus. So let's start with that first part. We often won't fit in because we're becoming more like Jesus. Maybe you've noticed this. However long you've been following Jesus, maybe you've been uh, following him your whole life since you were an infant raised up to know God, or maybe it's something newer in your faith life. Maybe what you've noticed is sometimes uh, that leaves you feeling some friction with others who aren't Christian uh, and who don't share your same values. Uh, maybe it's something that you have living out in your family right now or in a workplace or in your neighborhood or maybe just in the community at large. You realize that some of the things that God calls us to believe and say and do are different than what others in the world might value. There's a sort of dissonance that exists between those who are children of God and those who are not, those who have faith in Jesus and those who are, as John says, of the world. Here's how he describes it in the rest of verse 1. But the people who belong to this world, and that's a description of those who do not have faith in Jesus, they do not recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Uh, elsewhere in Scripture, where John wrote his gospel, in the first chapter of John, chapter, uh, John's gospel, he says that though he, Jesus, was in the world, the world did not know him. And so what was true about Jesus is true about us as well. There will be a fundamental disconnect, a dissonance, a rub, and a friction between those who 
value the things of God and those who value other competing things. And this is something that we see in the life of Jesus and we should expect in ours as well. They don't understand or appreciate our motivations and values because they are different. Um, We often won't fit in because we're becoming more like Jesus, even though we don't fully know what that means, at least for now. Uh, Here's how John describes that. He says, dear friends, we are already God's children, right? This is an objective reality that has been spoken over you through uh, the word of God that has entered into your heart and mind and created faith within you. It's already true. But, he says, he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, Now, when John says this in chapter 3, it's not the first time that he's made a reference to Jesus returning. Uh, If you haven't been with us, uh, last week we took a look at some of chapter 2, and here's a few references there to this same sense of anticipation. He says in verse 18, dear children, the last hour is here. And then in verse 28, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, right? Uh, In chapter 2 and chapter 3, John's building this sense of eagerness and anticipation that someday soon Jesus will return to this planet with power and glory with the saints and the angels who accompany him in heaven, and he will finally bring an end to everything that is wrong in this world. Everything that is broken by sin, he will make whole again, and that includes every one of his children. So John then goes on to say this, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Now, I like to just wonder in my own mind when I read a passage like this, what exactly was John picturing as he wrote these words? We will see him as he really is. Maybe you remember that John, along with Peter and James, was privileged to go up on top of a mountain when Jesus revealed his glory. We call that the transfiguration. Okay, And and Moses and Elijah, two saints from the Old Testament times, they appeared there with him and Jesus was talking with them and his face was, was revealed with his perfect purity and power and glory and it was overwhelming in its beauty and its power. Maybe John was thinking, man, I remember that time when we got to see a glimpse of what Jesus really is like. Um, Or maybe he was thinking of one of the times where he met with Jesus after his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Uh, John was among 500 or so early believers who had the privilege of, of seeing Jesus in the flesh after his resurrection before he returned to heaven. Including on one occasion, he records in the end of his gospel where Jesus met him by the Sea of Galilee and prepared breakfast for them on the beach. So maybe, maybe John was thinking, remember that time where we sat down and we, we had all the time in the world uh, and, we just, and we just shared life together and shared a meal. Maybe he was thinking of, of that kind of moment. Whatever he had in mind, here's what we know to be true. Right now, Jesus is seated at the throne of God in heaven in full power and in control, awaiting the day when his heavenly Father will say, all right. Let's bring an end to sin. Let's destroy death. Let's cast the devil into the deepest depths and let's bring life and hope and healing to a world that desperately needs it. We don't know 100% of all what that will mean, but we know enough to have eagerness anticipating that day when he returns. So then what do we do now until that day when God finally fixes this messed up broken world? 
Well, here's where John goes next. He says, as God's children then, this compels us to run as far away from sin as we can. Uh, Here's how he says it in verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation, right, just what we talked about, of Jesus coming back and finally bringing hope and life and healing to this world, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. And then in verse 6, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Now I want to pause here for just a moment to reflect on what John is trying to communicate. You see, two fundamental truths are true for us at the same time that seem to be in conflict. Uh, And this is what sometimes in the church we call being simultaneously saint and sinner, right? In fact, there's an impressive Latin phrase for it, simul justus et peccator, right? I just say that to make you seem like my seminary education actually uh, accounted for something, right? Simul justus et peccator, simultaneously just and sinful, saint and sinner. What's fundamentally true at the same time, but although it seems at odds, is is as uh, those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are completely set free from sin, and we are released, like Jesus, to live a new life by his power and grace. And so, to the best of our ability, we will flee from sin and seek to avoid it at all costs. That's what he means when he says, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. And yet what's also true, and you know this, is that even though you are saved by grace through faith, you still always somehow find a way to mess it up. Again and again and again, right? Think of Romans chapter 7. Paul describes this side of our reality in this way. He says, the good things that I know I should be thinking and saying and doing, somehow or another I just don't do them. And then the stuff I should be avoiding, I keep on doing, and I'm just stuck in this cycle of sin, right? And this is Paul, the apostle, who's describing himself having this struggle. But then in the end of Romans 7, he kind of helps us find a way forward. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death, this sinful human nature? And then he answers his own question, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? John just said, Jesus has come to set us free from sin. And what he's saying now is as his baptized, faith-filled followers... What that should motivate us to do is to flee from sin and not return to it. As opposed to anyone, and the sense of this term here is someone who just willfully, consistently, deliberately, in spite of what God says, pursues sin. That's what keeps on sinning means in this context. And for those who know and follow Jesus, that is not who we are. And why? That's this next phrase here. Because God's power is living within us. This is amazing truth that John goes on to describe. Look at this starting in verse 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous, right? When we start to put into practice the words and ways of Jesus, it reveals the presence of Christ within us. But when people keep on sinning, the opposite, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning, But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So for you, for those who have been born into God's family, 
You do not make it a practice of sinning. You do not consistently, deliberately, willfully ignore God's will and his word and defy him. But instead, because God's life is in you, because you are children of God, you seek to flee from it. You just can't willfully, deliberately, intentionally do the opposite of what God has called you to be and do because you are children of God. Now, how does John land our plane? This is where we're going to finish up with today. All right, for now, it compels us to run as far away from sin as we can because God's power is living within us so that, what is this ultimate effect going to be? We are becoming even more like Jesus. Here's how he lands it in verse 10 of our text. So now, we can tell who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who's not lived righteously, who's not put into practice the words and the ways of Jesus imperfectly, but to the best of your ability with the help of the Spirit of God who dwells within you, and anyone who does not love other believers. Um, that is, those who know and follow Jesus seek to put into practice his acts of love, mercy, and kindness to whomever they can, starting first with a family of faith, that's Galatians 6.10, but then also to anyone else that you meet. And those who do not reveal that they have a different set of values and a different father than the one that we call our Lord. So what are we to do with all this? Just to wrap it up today. We have this confidence that God has called us to be his own. We have been reborn through the waters of baptism. By the gift of faith, we have been made new. And now Jesus calls it imperfectly, calls us to live it out to the best that we can with his help, fleeing from sin, pursuing a life of love and mercy, putting into practice Jesus' words and ways, and therefore demonstrating to a world that needs hope, demonstrating the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be children of God. That is who you are, and that is what God is increasingly creating you to be. Amen.